good morning. My name is Adam. I'm one of the one of the elders, one of the pastors here at Hundred Community Church. So glad you're here. Unlike Taiwan, there are many places you could be. There's many churches here in Huntington, and, and yet you've come here. So I just really appreciate that. Uh, and I pray that you're just encouraged this morning by our time in God's Word and through song. And if you're a guest, we do at this time, there, there's an opportunity for kids pre-K to third grade. They can go to class um, and hear a lesson more on their level, um, which I'm not a very much above third grade level anyway. So they could stand here and hang. So they are more than welcome to stand here or they're free to go. Uh, if you brought your Bible, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to finish up Matthew 2 today. Dustin did an incredible job last week um, teaching um, from Matthew 2, the beginning part. So I have the joy of finishing out chapter 2. And um, I, I would just title this, this sermon um, Exodus Part 2. Exodus Part 2. How, many, how often do we see sequels being better than the original? Uh, and, and so uh, I think of great sequels. I think of like um, Star Wars, uh, great sequel. Um, Lord of the Rings is another one that came to my mind. Um, but usually sequels are like a flop. They just make them just to get more money. But here in this Exodus story, uh, it, it's, it's incredible. Um, part one was, was you know, worthy of writing a book. Part two is uh, while we're still singing today. So um, I'm excited just to jump into this passage this morning. Um, so let me pray for our time in God's word, and we'll start in verse 13. Um, Father, as I um, just begin to read your word, I pray that we would be um, just ready, that we'd be leaning in, uh, just waiting to hear from you, and um, just being willing to ask uh, the question, uh, whatever, Lord, whatever area in my, in my life I need to surrender, Lord, reveal that to me this morning, uh, that we'd be people just ready to surrender every area, that we would stop fighting for the throne, um, and that we would just uh, bow down uh, to you, Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, for those that are here this morning that have never bowed down to you, that are um, still walking away from you, not, not really all in, Lord, I pray that you would convict them in such a way that, that they just can't shake it, that um, your Holy Spirit would, uh, would begin the, the, the process of, of changing them from the inside out, Lord, that they would repent today and be saved. And So, Lord, I pray that you'd use this time. Uh, to further your kingdom, to help us to get refocused on our mission uh, while we're here on this earth. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, Dustin taught, and it was very much just this classic Christmas story where the wise men came and um, followed the star and um, visited King Herod. And that's where we'll pick up this morning is, is they had just given the gifts to Jesus. And in verse 13... Uh, it says, now, when they had departed, and the they here would be the wise men. And I thought Dustin did a good job of challenging us last week on the wise men. Uh, we don't really know how many uh, there were, but it would, uh, if there were three, however, we know there's more than one because they were men, not men, and is here is they. So, uh, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph 
in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So we were introduced. Uh, we met Herod last week. He's the king right now. And uh, he is just a wicked, wicked man. He was not um, a, a full Jew. He was just a commoner. He was never royalty. Um, and he was placed in this authority um, by Rome. And um, he was a wicked man. And we see here that he's searching for this child that, that, um, that the wise men came to look for, this king of the Jews. And so... Herod didn't like the sound of another king, and so he was going to um, um, destroy anything that got in that way. And so he was going to destroy this child, uh, which was nothing new for Herod. Herod was, uh, uh, he had ten wives, and he had many children. He had his uh, second wife um, murdered, um, the two sons from, uh, from her um, he had them executed, uh, and, and so, you know, it's nothing for him to kill some other people's kids. He did it to his own kids, um, and so we see that Herod wants to destroy them. The angel was very gracious um, to, to reveal this to Joseph in a dream, to rise and go to Egypt. So this is not the first time that Egypt has been a place of, uh, of God's sovereign use. Um, and so let's, let's read 14 and 15. You'll see uh, the Lord um, is very kind to, to continue to speak. And it says, And he rose and took the child and his mother by night. So you see the urgency? They just, they just fled. They got out of there. And they departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, um, I called my son. And so you're going to see possibly three quotes. Um, you'll all see two quotes, but maybe there's a third quote, depending on which translation of the Bible you have. So here's the first quote, and it comes from Hosea. And in Hosea um, 11, it's actually talking about um, the original Exodus, Exodus part one, when the people of Israel were slaves and, um, and God rescued them. And he did this incredible way. He, he, had, um, he had them there. And Moses was this deliverer type figure. And uh, he used these ten plagues. And so you're going to see a lot of overlap between Exodus part one and what I'm calling Exodus part two. That, that in, in, in Exodus, um, you saw Pharaoh being afraid of of the Israelites and so he, what did he do with all the babies he wanted them destroyed um, all the male children and you see the same thing going on here that the king Herod he he was afraid that um, that this baby boy was going to come and take his throne and so he had the babies uh, the baby boys from Bethlehem as we'll see in a minute that they were all killed um, and, and you see that they're both, both times in Egypt, um, that God's using Egypt as a, as a place to, to build his people and uh, to be delivered from. And, um, and, and so you see this whole idea of Israel being uh, like an Old Testament son. And so that's what Hosea 11 is talking about. So when he's quoting Hosea here, that out of Egypt, 
Uh, I called my son. He's talking about Israel, my son Israel. And then here, Matthew, just incredible to talk about this is referring to Jesus. That that Hosea passage, yes, it's talking about Exodus, but it's it's something deeper going on. That it's it's pointing us forward to this time here that that God's going to be bringing out His true Son, Jesus, out of Egypt. And so, in the Old Testament, you saw God being so kind and merciful when they were slaves. He he was kind to to bring them out of physical slavery to free his people. And then here you're going to see something even greater that, that out of this exodus, it's not going to be a physical deliverance, it's going to be a spiritual deliverance, that this deliverer is going to free his people from spiritual bondage. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. That's what Matthew's setting us up to get our minds thinking that way, that Jesus is going to be this deliverer like Moses was. But he's going to be a far greater deliverer. That Moses could only do so much. He could bring them out of physical bondage. But he couldn't do anything about their spiritual state. But Jesus is doing um, this greater act. He's, he's, not, he, he's not just doing the physical deliverance. It's the spiritual deliverance that he's, that he's doing. Um, and then we see in verse 16 that then Herod... When he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region um, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Uh, most commentaries, when I, when I would read this, said that Bethlehem during that time would be a community of about 1,000, 2,000 people. And so you could think maybe... Um, anywhere from 20 to 30 um, newborn babies being, being killed during this time. And I just want you to think about just um, the rage that he had, to where he would go and, and, um, and, and, and attack this community. And think your mom, you see the king or probably his servants coming, um, taking your child... Uh, and, and so this is, this is a, a, a tragedy that we see here in this passage. But you saw how much Herod loved his power and was not going to um, give it over to anyone. Verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. So here's the second quote we see. A, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And so this is a quote that comes from Jeremiah 31. And um, the context around this is that the Babylonians were coming in and they were conquering. And so as they were, so it's very similar to, to what Herod's doing, how he's coming in and taking the, the little, little babies, little children. Ba Babylon was doing years ago um, in this exile. And so they were coming in, and you can imagine here this, this Rachel, she's like this um, uh, a, a figure of women weeping for their children. Uh, and, and, and so imagine moms, like that, that happened to you. Put yourself back in that time of Israel's history where the enemy's coming in and they're gathering your family. And they might 
like today it might be they'd gather us up and they'd put the men in, in a van and the van would take off this way. Um, they were going to be slaves and then the women and children, you went in the van and you went this way and you're going to be separated from your families. Um, that's what's going on. You imagine just everyone is just weeping. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. You get to that point in your life, and maybe some of you are there now, and you've been there. Maybe you're coming out of that season where you just don't want to be comforted. Where you're going through such a hard time. Maybe it was a loss of a loved one. Maybe there's just something going on in your life right now, and you're like, I, I just, I don't even want to be with the Lord. I don't want to be comforted right now. And um, Jeremiah 31 goes on to say, like, there's something better to come. Like, you're in that moment right now, but there's a better day coming. Uh, let's look at this, Jeremiah 31. So, so this, um, what you see on the screen, it just comes a little bit after what we just read from Matthew, from that Jeremiah reference. So in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. So this is in the context of Babylonians coming in, conquering them. And the prophet Jeremiah says this, that there's days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Now just make note here that so far both passages here reference back to Egypt. And so Matthew's trying to get us to think back to that time where they were slaves um, he says, my, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will give their iniquity, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So here's this promise to these people who are being exiled. Dads are taken that way. Husbands, wives are going this way with the children. Houses are being um, burned. And God says this to them. That behold, there, there's, a, there's a day that's coming. And he's like, I know it's awful right now. But just wait, just trust. There's a day that's coming. And they were put in that situation because of their sin. They had rebelled against God and this was part of their penalty. Um, and here we read that there's a new covenant coming. There's this new um, working where God's going to place something in their heart. It's not going to be about the law. It's going to be something inside them that God's going to be doing. And, and I would say that that day has come, that um, we're not looking for that better day. The better day has come, that we're living in that period now, that Christ has come, that he is this one who inaugurates this new covenant, that there's a new kingdom. Um, and, and so here Jesus is this fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, um, and, um, and so he's bringing in this 
this promise from Jeremiah 31. Uh, and so we see him being this fulfillment of this Hosea passage out of Egypt, I shall, I called my son. And here we see Jesus being this fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. And so right now, Joseph, they're still in Egypt. They're, they're, they're there hiding out. But verse 19 says, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. So Galilee is the northern part of Jerusalem. Um, it's where Jesus sp spends most of his time by the Sea of Galilee and a couple, like three, three different communities. Um, and um, here we're introduced to Archelaus. We don't, we don't see him much. He was um, uh, one of Herod's sons. He was from his fourth wife. And Archelaus, um, is, he's just as evil as his father Herod. And he doesn't reign very long. He's actually removed from um, Rome, takes him off the throne and puts a, um, just a, uh, a, a, an officer there um, who reigns a little bit. But then after um, a short time, um, Herod's, or Archelaus' younger brother is put into power, um, Antipas. And Antipas is the Herod that we more commonly know. That's who's the one who... Um, as we get to meet John the Baptist next week, that's the one who has John the Baptist beheaded. That's the one. This is the Herod that um, is on trial, that, that Jesus comes on trial with. So, um, but not Archelaus. Archelaus reigns just for a small, small bit. Evil man. And so while he's reigning, though, um, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus go to, to Galilee. And it says here uh, in verse 23, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he'd be called a Nazarene. Now, it really depends on which translation you have. Um, I, I prefer using the, the ESV translation. It just reads easier um, for me, and, and I love the accuracy that it uses. And my older ESV, when I was reading it, it actually had that latter part in quotes, um, I don't know, if, maybe if you're using an older ESV or if you're using um, NIV also, there's an edition of NIV that has the latter parts and quotes, but you see here, no quotes, Any, anybody's translations have quotes? Yeah, a couple, a couple have quotes. If you notice there on your quotes, probably if you, if you have a Bible that has footnotes, like if you go back to verse 15 and you go back to verse 18 where there are those quotes, you probably see a footnote that at the bottom of your Bible says, this is found in Hosea, this is found in Jeremiah. But those of you who have, who have the quotes around verse 23, you probably notice it doesn't have a footnote there. And that's because it's, it's not actually quoted anywhere from the Old Testament. Um, and, and so what in the world is going on here? And um, because you're not going to find anywhere where the prophets specifically say that he, this Messiah, should be called a Nazarene. But you do see in the Gospels, 
um, Nazarenes mentioned. You see Nazareth being mentioned. And Nazareth was a place that was just very lowly. Um, if you think about when Jesus arrives on the scene in John's gospel, Jesus identifies Philip as a disciple, and Philip's excited, he begins to follow Jesus. And Philip goes, and this is what all of us should do as disciples, we go and tell other people about, about Jesus. And Philip goes to tell his friend Nathaniel about Jesus, and he says, hey, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel say? He said, how could anything good come from Nazareth? And so Nazareth was like this lowly place. Um, you know, it's like a lot of West Virginia. I mean, you look at our, our country and the way West Virginia is viewed from, a, from our country's perspective. What good could come from West Virginia? Just a bunch of hillbillies. God can't use West Virginia. And if you look throughout all the Bible, who does God use? He often uses the least of these. And that's why I really think that God is going to do something great through all of us hillbillies. That right here in West Virginia, I think God can do great things. That, that he loves to use the least of these. Because when he uses the least of these, when something happens great here in Huntington, we can't take the credit for it. The nation's going to see, like, what in the world? Like, the, what the nation knows about Huntington right now is the drug, the drug epidemic. But when God begins to raise up people who are weeping over this and, and we're praying and we're, we're begging God to move and we're actually doing something about it and we're pushing back the darkness, when the world hears that, they're going to say, man, like, what in the world's going on there? And we just give the glory to God because it's not about us. And... and so here God is using someone who identifies with the least of these. That, uh, that even in the Old Testament we, we see this. And this is what most scholars think that verse 23 is alluding to when it says that the prophets might be fulfilled. That in Isaiah 53, that's a classic um, uh, Easter passage that we usually talk about at Easter time where Jesus is the suffering servant who who came and was like this lamb being led to the slaughter. In Isaiah 53, it actually says that, that he would be despised and rejected. And so that might be what Matthew's referring to in verse 23, where it says that it was spoken by the prophets. He's talking about guys like Isaiah that said that this Messiah that would come, that he would be this kind of figure that, that nobody would look at him and be like drawn to. That's what Isaiah 53 says, uh, that he would just be an, an average-looking man, uh, that he wouldn't be like this great, you know, handsome leader that, like Saul or, or like King Saul or King David, um, but he would just be an average-looking dude that would come and that people would, would follow this man, even though he was despised and rejected. And so here, here we have this Incredible story of this exodus. And uh, I, I want us just to think this morning, who were we in this passage? Because um, as I mentioned, if this, is, if this is the exodus part two and most sequels aren't, aren't as good as the original, we, we like a good movie. And I just want us, 
I want you to think about the kind of movies that, that you like too. Like, because you identify with the character. And that's what I love. I love movies that stir something inside me. Movies like, like Gladiator. Like when there's something bigger um, going on. Um, or like a movie like Braveheart where, um, you know, w- William Wallace is willing to lay down his life. Like there's a story, that, like there's a gospel story in a lot of these movies that kind of stir something inside us. Um, and and, and there, there's good guys in movies, there's bad guys in movies. And I think what, what's crazy about our hearts is that you can be drawn toward the towards the bad guys in movies. Have you realized that? Have you ever cheered on the bad guys? Like movies where, like, like, a, like an Ocean's Eleven, where like there's a bank robbery, and, and like an Ocean's Eleven where the, the bad guys are robbing the casino, and yet when they get away at the end, like you find yourself cheering theft. You realize that? That, that we're like, yeah, they got away. And, and I just want you to understand, like, where, what your heart is, like, just showing you. And because and, we identify with these, these figures in these movies. And, and who do you identify here? Like, we see good guys, clearly. We see Joseph and Mary, the wise men. Uh, and, and then we see there's the, the bad cast here. We see Herod, Archelaus. Even going into the context of last week, we saw um, the scribes, the Jewish religious uh, leaders, chief priests. Um, these were bad guys. And uh, I think for honest this morning, we can relate to the bad guys in this story. Uh, we're, we're not much different than King Herod. Now, I'm not saying you're going out killing babies in the community. What I'm saying is, is you don't want to give up the throne. And that's what this passage is pointing us to. That's what um, the Jeremiah reference is. It's talking about getting at something in your heart. And, and right now, I just want you to search your heart. Just ask the Lord, just speak to your heart right now. Because we're far more like King Herod than we are Joseph or Mary. That we don't want to give up the throne. And we will do anything that we can to keep it. And, and that's what this is a picture of. And um, the incredible part is um, that as we see a few weeks ago that we saw Jesus' purpose for coming. The angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he said that, um, you're, Mary, she's going to bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so Jesus has come to save the King Herods. The people who want to, to find him and destroy him, that's exactly who Jesus came to save. People like you and me. Uh, this verse is not on the screen. I, I read this earlier and uh, with, with, with the band. We come at 9.30 and just spend some time praying for you um, and for us. And um, James chapter 4, verse 2, gives an incredible challenge. It, it just 
enlightens us about who we are. And James 4.2 says this. It says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. And, and that's what's going on in this passage. King Herod desired his throne. He desired to rule. And if something got in the way of that, he desired it and did not have it, he was going to murder. And James is tying that with our desires of just even, do, do we desire like... Like any, anything that gets in the way of that desire, we might even hate and murder like in our minds. And we would do anything to destroy or put anything out of the way of, uh, of getting in the way of those desires that we have. And we all want to be king or queen. We all want to rule. We want to rule our lives. We don't want somebody to tell us what to do and when to do it. And that's exactly what King Jesus does. And that's why we don't want to put him on the throne. Because we want to do what we want to do, unless it's convenient. We want convenient Jesus, but we don't want King Jesus. And you can't have, it's not an either or, it's, you've got to surrender every area of your life. It's not, I want Jesus, the Savior Jesus, that's convenient. I want him to save me from my sins, but I don't want him to be King Jesus. To tell me what to do and how I should spend my money and how I you know, should talk at work and the things I should watch or how do I talk to my wife or how do I treat my husband or how do I respond to my children. That's King Jesus. And that who, that's who Matthew's gospel is about, King Jesus. And King Jesus will rule and every knee will bow down to this king one day. But it, it, it matters that you bow your knee now. See, Herod didn't do it. Archelaus didn't do it. But God has been so gracious to give you a chance to do it now. That you would bow your knee before him right now. I know as I look around this room, many of you have already done that. I've heard your testimonies. You're on a mission right now for King Jesus. And I'm so thankful that you're part of this church. God is using you. But I know in this room, there's some of you, you've never bowed your knee. You've never surrendered fully to Jesus. And there's something in your heart right now telling you, like, you need to bow your knee. You know that if you died today, you would not stand uh, in right standing with God. And God's telling you right now, today's the day that he has shown you mercy and kindness as this gracious king. See, as we look at these two exoduses, in the old exodus, you had this deliverer, Moses, who brought them out. Um, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. But here you see this deliverer, Jesus, it's, it's, it's a better sea. It's, a, it's not a red sea, it's a crimson sea. It's filled with his blood. And when you cross it, you don't come out dry, you come out drenched. And covered in his blood. And it's beautiful that you come out and you're safe on the other side. Just as in the original Exodus, they come out and the waters crashed upon the enemy. And they were saved that day. Same is true for us. We come across, we come through the blood of Christ and we are saved from the enemy. That his blood crushes the enemy that day. And there's no one there, there's no accuser that's accusing you. There's no one to attack you. 
the battle has been won for you. You stand victorious on the other side of, of that Red Sea today. But along the way, you remember their story. They had to wander around in the wilderness. They went through a lot of trials and tribulation until they entered to that promised land. That's where we are right now. Well, in that wilderness, and, and there's things that happen to us, but we stand victorious. Like we, we, we win. We, we enter into that promised land. If we just keep walking with him, just trusting him, we will be part of, part of that. And so we just keep pushing forward. I'm going to invite the band to, to come back up this morning. And, and, and I just, just want to ask you, you know, have, have you embraced Christ this morning as, as king? He's, uh, he's delivered us um, more than what Moses did for Israel. He's delivered us from spiritual bondage. Like we were all uh, slaves and Romans 6 talks about the slavery, that we're slaves to our sin. That ourselves, like our sin, we're entangled in this. And, 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 and Romans 6 tells us that we are free from that in slavery. That we're, we're no longer slaves to that sin anymore. That we're free in Christ. And so when you sing these songs, do you, do you stand and sing as freed people? Are you still in bondage and slavery, still back in Egypt and need to be set free this morning? You've got a king who wants to free you. So call upon his name. Um, if you have questions about that, talk, talk to whoever invited you. Talk to me after the service. I would love to tell you how you can be freed this morning. So let's continue to, uh, to sing out about his goodness and mercy and kindness, how he's freed us from all these... Uh, all these sins that have once enslaved us.